Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 6, reading from the NIV, says this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz, mother, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth being in the, the book of the Bible. And Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, better known as Bathsheba. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject, uh, me and the number two, me too, and that God is not silent about sexual abuse. God is not silent about sexual abuse. Uh, first of all, um, as I was looking, most of us just skip over these names. This is kind of like, it's almost like there's no Matthew chapter 1. People just go to Matthew chapter 2 because if you grew up with King James, all you, you would read is begat, 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 begat. And like, okay, let's just get to the story. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. But first of all, um, this is very important because Matthew, who is a tax collector, which means that he was good at taking, taking detailed records, uh, he is, his goal is to prove that Jesus is truly not simply the promised Messiah, but also he is, he is related to David. That's why he lists David first to let people know that he is the promised king that the Lord promised through uh, the uh, lineage of David. So it, it, whenever a Jewish man would list their lineage, it was very unusual for them, in fact, almost uh, non-existent for them to include uh, females in their lineage. Uh, William Barclay, the great Scottish theologian, said that uh, during this time, a Jewish man would regularly, play, regularly pray these things. Lord, I thank you that, number one, I'm not a Gentile. Number two, I'm not a slave. And number three, I'm not a woman. Yet God does something totally 
unusual, totally extraordinary, in that he lists not simply four women, but he lists two of these four women who are sexually abused in the genealogy of his son, Jesus Christ. It's almost as if God is saying, by listing these two women, I see your pain. I know that you're out there. One of the women God lists here is Rahab, whose name in Hebrew literally means violence. She's been violated. Rahab is not only a prostitute, but she's a Gentile, a non-Jewish person listed in the genealogy of a Jewish male. The other woman who's been sexually abused is Bathsheba. Her name in Hebrew means daughter of an oath. She's a wife who took a vow, an oath to her husband, who was away fighting a war for King David, a man in power who eventually, while one of his great leaders, one of his mighty men of valor, one of the men who was risking his life to preserve David's leadership while he is out fighting for this man, this king is forcing this man's wife to have sex with him. And then to top it off, this sex offender King David, the man that God calls a man after his own heart, tries to cover up the fact that he got Bathsheba pregnant. And of course, if you read the rest of the story, he eventually has her husband killed. Makes no sense for God to place these two women in a genealogy of his son unless God knew that this day would come. So if you're out there today, you can say, me too. You can say, I'm not alone, that there are two other people in Jesus' family who have been through what I've been through. And that you know, if nothing else, Jesus has included you in his story of redemption. I want to draw your attention to the screen right now. I want to show you a video. That hopefully will bless you as it blessed me. I know these two individuals. They're powerful uh, leaders in the body of Christ. And...
Well, at this time, we have our two courageous members in our church who are going to share their stories. The first person is going to be our uh, sister Deidre. And we'll ask her to come at this time. Come on, let's encourage her.
not really going to watch you guys. I just read, you know? Here this morning to briefly talk about my personal journey of healing from sex childhood sexual abuse. I grew up in a single parent home household where I lived with my mom, my aunt, my sister, and twin brother. My father would visit us during the week, but he stayed on the weekends. Before the age of nine, I was fully an expert of how to give an experience sexual satisfaction. My father would regularly use my body in any way he desired. It did not matter what time of the day was. He made it his priority to be with me consistently when he visited. He also taught me how to, sat to satisfy myself as well. When he was finished, he would remind me not to tell anyone that it was very important to keep secrets because if I don't, I can get into trouble. I believed him. Growing up, I thought that this abuse was pretty normal. I believed that's how all fathers played with their daughters. But something shifted when I got older. I became very emotional and full of rage. I didn't like how my body felt after every act and how I felt in my own skin because I didn't understand what was going on inside and outside of my body. I would disconnect myself and imagine myself living in other families or I would drift away into La La Land. Sometimes it took me a while to come back to reality. I didn't understand why kids my age played and was happy, but yet I was known as Michelle, Mike Tyson, in my neighborhood, or the school tough girl because of my rage. When I reached into my preteen years, I had enough sense to understand that nothing was normal about my childhood. I would listen to my friends talk about their dads, but not once did they mention that their dad touched them inappropriately. Around that time, I believed I had <laughs> an invisible sign on my back, which read, my body is available to you, because my uncles, cousins, and neighbors also victimized me as well. 
sometimes my days involved more than one person. I wanted to escape so badly from my reality. Finally, one summer, my brothers and I moved away with my mom. I finally felt free. It was the best summer ever. Not once did I have to satisfy anyone or myself. I so badly wanted a fresh start to remain free and to never look back. Unfortunately, I did not escape the abuse. I fell into the same trap, just with a different family. <sighs> One day, one of my sister's Christian's friends came to explain to me what fasting was. Apparently, she was prophesying to me, but I did not know it then. She told me if I was fast, if I fast for, fasted for three, three days, the Lord is going to answer me. So I did. And the third day, I was waiting to hear an audible voice, but I heard nothing. I decided to listen to the Fred Hammond CD she gave me, and the first song I heard was, Your Steps Are Ordered by the Lord. I didn't think much of it then, but I do understand it now. Two weeks later, I dreamt one of my close friends at the time came knocking my door with a crowd of cheerful people behind her inviting me to church. That same week, that same friend found a church and she wanted me to go with her. I accepted the invitation out of curiosity. When I entered the church building, I felt like I entered a different world. The feeling I felt when the people sang in worship and how they greeted me and treated me was indescribable. I continued to visit the church and long story short, I gave my life to Christ. My cousin, up to this day, will always remind me that she watched me jump straight out of the club, straight into church. <laughs> a year passed, and one day, the first lady slash pastor of the church invited me to lunch with her. While we were on our lunch date, she noticed an older man staring me. She turned to me and asked me what scent I was carrying. She asked why was that old man attracted to me. It was the first time in my life I opened up to anyone and spoke about my past. I felt like a lid was taken off of my heart. Tears began to flow. She event eventually taught me how to forgive my father. Within that year, the tears flowed and flowed. There were times I would cry and didn't even know why I was crying. The senior pastor met with me and the advice he gave me was, it was time to stop crying. Be tough and let the tears roll off your back. So I became silent once again because I believed them. Finally, I met a lovely lady by the name of Talit Marks. <laughs> I reached out to her for voice lessons. During one of our first voice lessons, I didn't know how it happened, but I started pouring out my story all over again. But when I told her about my past, her response was different from what I've experienced. She was willing to listen, and she asked questions no one cared to ask. She even invited me to, to spend Christmas with her and her family without even really knowing who I was. All I kept my distance away from her for a year or so, she still pursued me. 
I never knew a love like that before. One day she encouraged me to open up to my mom and family about the abuse. It became easy to talk about it with strangers, but I never opened up to my family about it. She stayed with me in the room and I finally told my mom. All my life I thought she knew and I thought she allowed it to happen, but she was unaware. That was a big sigh of relief for me. Still don't talk about it this day with her. In conclusion, I later came to PT. And it was here where my healing journey continued. And it was accelerated. I was transformed from a very shy, tight-lipped young lady <laughs> to a woman who can't keep her mouth shut. <laughs> I found a community, a community of people, as you can see, <laughs> and Joyce, and Talit, Regine, Ohene, Bishop, Lady Carmen, you name it, who loved me and accepted me for all of me and for who I was. Not one part of me they rejected. Up to this day, I'm still in shock by the fact of how much they just love me. It's very unexplainable, very. It changed the way I viewed myself and how I viewed God. Um, when Bishop was the first man I allowed to freely hug me and I hugged him back with everything. I also had the opportunity to go through Blessing Generation slash Family Foundation International where God freed me from many lies and replace those lies with his truth. 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 Um. <laughs> In one of my sessions, God came to me on his knees to the little Deidre who was stuck in a very hard place. He stretched forth his hand and he sang a beautiful song to me. I might sing it after, who knows? To invite me to come to him. I did not know who he was. He said he was father, and he would never hurt me or abuse me. I went, and from that, I went to him, and from that day, I accepted God not only as Jesus, but my father. I fell completely in love with my Savior, and I am free. I walked out the prison doors of shame, self-hatred, rejection, depression. The list goes on. Can't remember that. Still working through it. My body belongs to him, and I am his child. I am still on my healing journey. I am. But he has brought me this far, and I trust him to take me further. So I will sing the song what he sang, sang to me because it, can, it freed me, and I pray that he freed me. Don't forget my voice, you know? <coughs> it said, I will never hurt you. I will never abuse you. You are my child. <laughs> you are my child. He said, I will never hurt you. 
choose you. You are my child, and I am yours. Amen. Next person who's going <coughs> to share, man, it's very courageous. It's it's one thing to have. It takes a lot of courage for a woman to share. And it seems sometimes it takes an extra amount of courage for a man to share. And so sharing with us is going to be uh, Brother uh, Walter Higgs III. nothing in the world more important and powerful than a strapping father family. And as an eight-year-old who symbolized unfailing and unconditional love, reliability, safety, and security. However, the meaning of that symbol was disrupted when two male family members on separate occasions decided to, to violate those perceptions of my world. When I think on it now, I really didn't know when the idea was conceived or planted in their minds to take advantage of me in that manner. What I do vividly remember were that my parents' marriage was extremely turbulent and it caused them to be distracted, leaving my sisters and I unattended. And without going into much graphic details of the horrific encounters I experienced, I will tell you that it left me scarred it left me scared, and it made me feel dirty, guilty, ugly, and damaged. And to add insult to injury, I was told by each of my perpetrators that if I even told anyone, including my parents, it will not only destroy my entire family, but it will be all my fault. Wow, that's a lot to put on an eight-year-old. 
Besides, who would even believe an over-imaginative 8-year-old boy who viewed his world through the lens of, if I work hard enough, I too could leap tall buildings in a single bound like Superman. And if I was indeed strong enough, I too could fight off all the dragons and the bad guys and win the heart of a pretty girl and ride off in the horse in the sunset to live happily ever after. Because of my violation of my perpetrators, the inconsistencies of my father's presence, coupled with the constantly coupled with constantly being inundated with the brutal brutal opinions and accounts from women in my family who too have been extremely hurt by men. My views on manhood and masculinity was filled with a lot of negativity and disgust. My mother even proactively prevented me from hanging out with all the other boys in the neighborhood because they were considered and viewed as mischievous troublemakers. So, in a misguided attempt, in my opinion, to protect me, I was often isolated from other boys and men for fear that I would pick up their so-called troublemaking habits and behaviors. What? Little boys just simply being in their element? Wow. It was then, it was at that moment, that the seed of self-hate about living as my natural self was planted. And as I approached my teenage years, questions like, will I take advantage of others in the same way that the other males in my and other male relatives in my family did? Or since I am a man, am I going to be inconsistent and untrustworthy and mischievous too? Or am I a man? <laughs> am I man enough? Aggressively vexed and dominated my heart and spirit. It was an internal battle with myself, constantly working hard to be different. I didn't want to be like other men. I wanted to be better. I wanted to be a standout. I wanted to be an original. This falsely confident attitude perpetuated a posture of legalism and self-righteousness and at its core, avoidance. I was running from dealing with my painful, traumatic experiences. Yes, years will go by where I suppressed these traumas, and it came out in ways of overextending myself and busying myself in my academics, church, and organizational affiliations. Additionally, I found great solace in food to take the pain away. Searching for my identity in these colleges 
I graduated from, joining these organizations, establishing these leadership titles, and anything else that will provide me an escape to my haunting reality became my normal. I kept myself busy not to think or relive the horrific and devastating sexual trauma I had endured. It was just easier that way. Then December of 2011 happened. I started experiencing a lot of psychological and emotional instability coupled with some major health challenges, which included being morbidly obese. My weight came up and got up as close as, as to 400 pounds. As I have shared with you my church family at several times, my doctor gave me the news that if I didn't change my lifestyles and make some lifestyle changes immediately, I will be dead in six months. It was then that I said, I want to live. I don't want to die before my nieces and my nephews had an opportunity to go to high school or college. However, opening up about my experience would leave me naked and alone. After all, no one could handle this information. And it would surely ruin the image that I worked so hard to create. But I knew that if, but I knew that the road, but I knew that the road to being whole was going to happen. I needed to deal with the polka dotted elephant at the center of my heart and spirit. And that was the sexual trauma. And I did. Since the beginning of 2012, and more aggressively from 2016 to now, I have been actively engaged in therapy, along with fasting, praying, reading God's word, blessing generations, to just name a few, to deal with these sexual traumas. And with God's strength, I purpose myself to be honest about what happened to me so I can experience what it's like to have God's joy, freedom, and rest. Through doing these things, I have been able to heal and forgive not only my perpetrators who are now deceased, but I also forgave my father, and yes, even myself. As I began to accept and give forgiveness, I noticed a lot of internal and external transformations. On July 4th of this year, my father, out of the clear blue, calls me because he was awakened out of his sleep said that you, you, your, your name and your face dropped in my head. And as he began to talk about it, he didn't know that I was, it was a hard day for me of dealing with myself, my identity, and my father 
just shares with me and says, I just wanted to call you because I just wanted to apologize to you for being a lousy father. I want to apologize because I wasn't the father that I needed to be for your sisters and myself. And I know that you are a grown man right now, but I want to do this. I want to affirm you as a man. I realized that as I got older, that is the father's responsibility to pour back into his children and speak blessings over their lives. And as my firstborn son, the one that I'm that that is named after me, you get the you get the honor of getting the first blessing from me. And for an hour and a half to two hours, my father, my father affirmed me as a man. Something that I always want. Something, something that I always wanted and I waited all this time to have. He affirmed me as a man. It shifted the peripheral. It shifted me. My connotation about these things that once brought me hurt and pain now shifted from being, from me being a victim to being a victor. In closing, the Bible is true when it states that God can take our ashes and turn them into something beautiful. Because he did just that for me. By God's grace, I have an amazing group of brothers that I'm not afraid to be around. I have a wonderful and understanding woman who I plan to marry very soon. <laughs> and I have God-given freedom and courage to publicly share this story. is a healer, that God is a healer. These stories that we are hearing is, speaks of God's redeeming power. 
what, what strikes me here, when we go back to this story, is a man who we don't even pay attention to in the story, in these names. It's a man, it's a man by the name of Solomon. There's a man who who the whole nation knows that his wife is a prostitute. Not not the town, not the city, the, the entire nation knows that Rahab is a prostitute. The entire nation knows that she's a Gentile. And yet, he still marries her. He still marries her. In spite of her past, he marries her. And I think he, I think, I think that Rahab is the story of redemption. That when you, when you read her story in the book of Judges chapter 2 and chapter 6, you come to realize that The only reason God sent out the spies was to get Rahab. <laughs> Which kind of matches that song, there's no wall you will kick down coming after Rahab. And then... So what kind of man would risk reputation and and how people would look at him to say, I don't care. We found out Rahab, uh, Solomon's name means garment. Garment. Here's a man who basically says, well, this is my garment. And Rahab, I am going to, I am going to remove your shame. And Rahab, I'm going to be your garment. I am going to be your covering. I'm going to be your covering. I'm going to be your covering, Rahab. And my covering you is not me being Mr. Nice Guy. My covering of you is because I need you. Because together, we're going to produce a son named Boaz, whose name means strength. So this isn't just a nice thing to do. It's because I need you. Because I need you.
So I stand here this morning. I say that I understand your pain. I truly understand your pain. And we want to be a salmon, a covering to you. So God, God told me, Lady Connie, to come out of hiding. It's time to come out of hiding. It's time to shatter my silence. So this is the first time that I'm standing here and saying to our congregation that I was sexually abused. But I'm not only a survivor, and I know that people say a survivor, but I stand here saying that I'm not only a survivor, I'm an overcomer by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been a long time coming for you all that know, know me and grew up in this church and to say anything, such shame. Church people, you don't want the church people to know, but the Lord said, come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. I'm not going to go into my story today. I'm going to share my story one day because today it's about your story. It's about your story. So there's going to be a song that's going to be played right now called No Bondage. No Bondage. And to be able to walk in freedom, to be able to walk in liberty, to be able to walk in no shame and no embarrassment, I stand here in freedom. Stand here in freedom. I can shout freedom! Hallelujah! Freedom! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! And it is because of the grace of God that I stand here, that I can stand here. It is the grace of God. It is the grace of God that I could have my daughters and look at them. Oh, you're not my daughter. Here's my daughter. Vanessa, come up here. But this is my, my buku friend. I can stand here and not to be ashamed. I've, I've told them my story years ago. I can stand here with confidence, but no bondage, no bondage, no bondage, no bondage, no bondage. I thank God for my husband as a covering. He covers me. So as this song is being played, I'm going to ask you if you desire um, prayer, that you come. That you come. That you come. Amen. This is the moment to come out of hiding. Whether you're a male or female, this is your moment. And if you want somebody to stand next to you or hold you, please put your hand up and someone will do that. Every chain is broken. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. No fear. No shame. As you're here being prayed for, I'm going to ask Regine if she would pray. And then after she, after she prays, I want to pronounce a Father's blessing on you. To seal this moment. And we're not saying this is the end of the journey. But what we're saying in this moment that we are going to walk with you into the complete space of freedom to be who God has called you to be. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, we know that your word is true. We know that you are the way and that you are the truth, God. So when you say no weapon, no weapon, no weapon formed against us shall prosper, it is true. So God, I pray for each of the people in this room right now for people who've been affected by this personally, for people who have friends, brothers, sisters, children, mothers, fathers, cousins, aunties, nieces, nephews, who've been affected by sexual violence personally, God, I pray in the name of Jesus and stand here saying that no weapon formed against us shall prosper Jesus. God, we stand on your word. We stand on your truth, Lord. We proclaim healing, Lord Jesus. We proclaim healing, Lord. I pray for everything that is broken, Jesus. I pray for the pain. I pray for the psychological pain. I pray for the wounds. I pray for the shame. I pray for the guilt. I pray for that feeling that, yes, it was my fault, that maybe I did something to, to start this. And I pray that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, God. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us up, would surround us, would be a balm, would soothe us, Lord God. I pray, God, that <laughs> there would not just be survivors in this place, but thrivers, God, overcomers, victors, Lord Jesus. I thank you, God, that you broke all of the bondage that you died for us, Lord, that you sacrificed for us, that you were tortured for us, Lord God, so that we could have eternal life, God. And not only are you not silent about this, Lord, but you hate that it happened. You hate that it happened, God. And you will restore Jesus. You will restore, oh God, you will restore what the locusts have eaten, God.
You will replenish, Lord God. You will fill them up, Lord. Out of their bellies will come streams of living water, God, because that is the God that you are, Lord. You are the God who heals. You are the God who breaks chains, Lord Jesus. And you are there. You are present with us, Lord, that no matter where you are in your healing journey, Lord, if today was the first time you realized this happened to you or 30 years ago you realized this happened to you and you've been walking, Jesus is right there with you. He's right there next to you. All we have to do is ask you, Jesus, that you are there, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for the cloud of witnesses that have come before us, Lord. I thank you for Rahab, oh God. I thank you for Bathsheba, oh God. I thank you that we have so many witnesses, Lord, and we have Jesus. And so I pray, I pray, God, that we would rely on Jesus, Lord. We know that this is a spiritual battle too, oh God. And so we also pray for all of those children over there in Sunday school, Lord, for all of the high school students up in the balcony, Lord. We pray for the generations to come. We believe you, God. I know that all things are possible with you, God. So I know that it is possible for this to end, God. I know it is possible, God. God, we love you. We thank you. We proclaim all of these things in your holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pronounce a blessing over you. It's a long blessing. You are a person of strength and mighty valor. You are full of wealth and wisdom. The price paid for you was greater than many jewels, for that price was the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. You bring the rich spoils of victory. All throughout your life, you bring good and not evil. You delight in the work of your hands. You give out revelation truth to feed others. Even in the night season, you rise and set food on the table for hungry ones in your house and for others. You wrap yourself in strength and might and power in all your works. You, your shining light, will not be extinguished no matter how dark the night. You stretch out your hands to help the needy. And you lay hold of the wheels of government. You are known by your extravagant generosity to the poor. For you always reach out your hands to those in need. You are not afraid of tribulation. For your household is covered in grace. And even your works are righteous. All you do benefits even your enemies. Bold power and glorious majesty are wrapped around you. You laugh with joy over the latter days of your life. Your teachings are filled with wisdom and kindness as loving instruction pour out from your lips. You watch over the ways of your household and meet every need. Your sons and your daughters will rise up in one accord and extol your virtues. There are many 
valiant and noble ones, but you have ascended above them all. Charm can be misleading, and beauty and handsomeness is vain, and so quickly fades, but this virtuous person who you are, you live in wonder and awe and fear the Lord. You will be praised throughout eternity. So go ahead and give, we'll give you credit that you deserve. For you have become a radiant person. And all your loving works deserve to be admired in every city and every nation you go to. And so in the name of the Lord, I bless you. As the father of this house, I bless you abundantly. I bless you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Receive the blessings of the Lord. Hallelujah. Please do feel free to stay here if you want to continue to be ministered to. In the meantime, I'm going to ask the congregation to stand. Can we just give God some worship? Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, we can do better than that. Come on, we bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There is healing balm in this room. There's healing balm in this room. As you put your hands out, May the Lord bless you and protect you. May he look after you, shield you, defend you, and he will take care of you. May the Lord make his face to shine, grin, beam, and show his pleasure on you. May the Lord be gracious, kind-hearted, pleasant, and compassionate to you. May the Lord show you his favor that will promote you, appreciate you, support you, side with you as you side with him, and finally... May the Lord give you his shalom, his peace, his rest, his harmony, his calmness, his composure, his prosperity, his success. And may the Lord remove anything that causes agitation or discord with his divine purpose and destiny for your life. And while you are sitting here or standing and continue to be ministered to, please do not feel that you have to leave his presence. We will be here with you. And so I bless you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody say, I receive that blessing. Thank you, Jesus. There's reception downstairs, but for those of you who want to stay up here in this sacred space, please feel free to do so. We're going to ask that you take your conversations downstairs. Be free to talk as much as you want downstairs. But let's keep this space sacred for those who want to be ministered to and want to just sit in his presence.